0: and so community is the alternative to individualism and it's the belief that I can't succeed without the success of my peers.
1: Welcome to the Modern Learners Podcast. I'm Will Richardson, co-founder of the Modern Learners Community and Change School, as well as an author, speaker, and a parent of two pretty amazing children. Each week I do a deep dive into some of the challenging questions that face educators today, and I offer practical steps for what you can do right now to make sure your students thrive in the complex, fast-changing future they'll live in. So, it's a new month, and as we turn into September 2019, That means a new theme for our podcasts and for our conversations in our Modern Learners community. Podcast-wise, I have to say I'm a little sad that our dive into the theme of story in August is over. Uh, What I learned is that we tell stories in schools in more ways than we realize and that the narratives that we create have a huge influence on how kids and teachers experience school on a daily basis. I really hope you enjoyed that series as much as I did. But now we're moving on to our next theme, Community. And it's another one of those words that we use often in education, but we don't fully define when it comes to our systems and our practice. And at a moment in the world when so many things seem to be moving apart, we want to take a look at how we might work to bring things together, to create closer bonds, especially, of course, in the context of schools. In other words, what does learning within community look like? And what practical steps can we take to make community rather than individuals, the operating system of schools. Now, just a reminder, you know, we have some structure to this. As we do each month, we'll use the four parts of our modern learner's lens to guide these conversations. So, this week, our focus is on how community is built based on our beliefs. Next week, we'll ask how our ideas about community are changing, given the modern context in which we live. Our third framing will be around classroom practice, as in, what happens when the community becomes the curriculum? And finally, we'll explore how cultures in schools change when community is placed at the center. Now, I can't tell you how excited I am to kick off this series with the person who wrote the book on community, literally, Peter Block. Through his company, Design Learning, Peter's worked with thousands of people around the world to use the community-building skills he writes about. And let me just say that his other book, The Answer to How is Yes, should be on every school leader's list if you're looking to engage in meaningful conversations around change. Now, in this episode, Peter and I discuss the definition of community, the ways in which schools are focused on competition and individualism, and how to build a different narrative for what learning looks like in schools. So, as always, be prepared to be challenged and inspired all at once, but honestly, probably more challenged as Peter does not hold back at all his thoughts about schools in the modern world. So that conversation is coming up real fast, but I want to remind you to check out our Modern Learners community if you haven't already done so. MLC now has over 1,300 members from around the world, and we're having some powerful conversations and sharing some next steps for creating classrooms where modern, engaged learning thrives. It's a really respectful, safe place, which is why we built it, and it's away from the noise of Twitter and Facebook, and it gives you a place to think and engage and learn at a deep level. Head on over to modernlearners.community, that's modernlearners.community to join us, and when you do, check out the podcast topic, as always, to get more resources around my conversation with Peter today. And don't forget, at the end of my conversation with Peter, I'll be back with three things that you can do right now to move your schools and classrooms to a deeper sense of community. As always, if you like what you hear today, we'd love it if you head on over to iTunes, give us some love and a review. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation around community with us in our community at Modern Learners. Cheers, everyone. And thanks so much for listening. So, Peter, I guess the first question is, what is community? Uh, I know that a lot of people have different ways of thinking about community. And one of the points that you make often is that having some common language around the terms that we use and making sure that we understand the language that we're using is really important. So I'd love it if you could start with just defining what community is and why you think it's such an important part of not only how we live and interact with one another, but how important it is when it comes to changing things and to seeing things differently in the world.
0: The word community is used so much, it's pretty much lost its meaning. And so that gives us the liberty to make it up. And so the way I make it up is to care for the well-being of the whole you see, how do I uh, deal with the isolation of the modern modernist project? Is deeply individualistic. All right, the modern modern schools are deeply individualistic. As soon as I get to school, I realize people I used to play with, I now compete with. And my number one goal in this in this classroom is to get the teacher to like me, because that means I can get a good grade and move on. And so community is the alternative to individualism. And it's the belief that I can't succeed without the success of my peer. And uh, that's one way. It, 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 and I think that's most relevant to education. In other terms, community is about place. It's about memory. It's about our ability to make this place better together.
1: So that idea that the way that I su- succeed is if we all succeed, if we all learn together and, and live together in that context, is that something in your sense, at least, that a lot of schools have achieved, that a lot of schools are kind of living under that ethos? Or do you think that most schools are still fairly competitive and, and individualistic? It's, it's moving the opposite
0: direction. In the last 10, 15 years, the control of the school building has gone to the state legislature. And in many cases, uh, school systems are under the burden of no child left behind, high-stakes testing. Uh, The purpose of school is to get a good job. You know, the the school promise in many places, especially in low-income places, is if you graduate high school, we'll get you to college. And so if you find a school that's based on peer learning, now, Montessori, of course, in 1896 figured this out. And thank you, Maria. But most systems, the, the culture, the demands, the communal, the legislature, the mindset of adults is still deeply individualistic and deeply competitive. And so any school has decided that peer learning triumphs over great teaching, is an interesting radical, and it does exist and does work. I have
1: a sense that in our work, when we go and begin to peel back the layers in terms of what people believe, specifically what they believe about learning, it's always interesting for us to begin that conversation. And, and people will say things like, well, learning really requires passion. It requires a, a real context, a real audience, a real purpose. It requires freedom to choose what we learn about. All those things that Almost everybody, I think, unanimously would say are the conditions that are required for learning. But then when we ask them to then map those beliefs to practice, there's a huge gap in most cases. We walk into classrooms, kids are sitting in rows, they're waiting to be told what to learn, they're waiting to be told how they're going to be assessed on it, all those types of things. Is it your sense that in general, perhaps, but specifically in schools, people aren't practicing what they believe and they, and they know that, but they feel in some way constrained from doing what they believe?
0: Well, I'd say if people believe in, in the passion and uh, we're at the stage of advanced lip service and, and the, the history, the tradition, what's taught to teachers, what's taught to parents, nobody thinks very positively about their school experience in terms of learning. Most people I know began learning when they got out of school and, and and they were much more focused on performing and achieving. So I think the practice, now it's not just in schools. Somebody said that the, the problem with Christianity is nobody's tried it. And so I think the real challenge in our lives is to act on what we know. That's why conceptual teaching and content uh, doesn't take us very far pedagogy only takes us so far and our mindset for school improvement is to have more better management in the building and more predictable pedagogy and all of those things are unkind and unfriendly to learning and the development of the child you know francis strickland was the wife of the governor of ohio and she said all i want for our children is at the age of 18 years old, you know what you're good at. And that to me was a powerful statement and a call for great, great change. And it's difficult, but the the challenge of acting on what we know is not an indictment. It's just a reality that it takes courage and it does take a different narrative, which is what I like about what you do.
1: So what is the role of community in that? Um, what is the role well, of, of having that courage? I mean, I'm I'm sure that we we have a community to tap into. That changes the equation a little bit, right?
0: Well, I would say that I need to feel connected to those around me. I need to trust them, and I need to be in conversation with them about what are we trying to create here. So if it's teachers, they need to feel connected to each other. Uh, we've given too much focus on the role of the principal, even though it's vital but we're all engaged in leadership. Now, the other thing that's interesting about schools is they all exist in a neighborhood. I've never seen a school that didn't reside in a neighborhood, but all they care about are the parents, you know, and and the way we bring parents together is the same patriarchal way we always did. When my kids were in school, parents, me and I sat in a chair and the teacher told me what my kids are going through. I never got connected to the other people there. Parent relationships, as a as a connecting relationship, probably has more to do with child performance than anything else, because when parents know each other, are related to each other, uh, it impacts the child and impacts learning. And and like you say, if the teacher stopped learning, what's the point? And so, in that sense, community also can go outside the building. And you can begin to ask, what are the gifts and capacities of people that are walking distance of this building? And how do we get them in this building so our children know that they're supported by something larger than their own family?
1: I think that the parent piece is really interesting, right? Because a lot of parents feel community probably around getting high test scores and going to elite colleges and doing all those types of things. So... I'm wondering if you have any sense of how you begin to change the narrative in terms of how those communities of parents and others come together that may be more based on some basic beliefs again, and in, in how kids learn and, and how kids can become joyful and can right. do great work in the
0: world. Well, you know, you're using community in a very general way. I would substitute the word relatedness, connectedness. Okay. Intimacy. And, uh, the popular notion is the helicopter mom but you know that's really an elitist idea you know uh, that's usually wealthier neighborhoods wealthier schools in cincinnati most of the low performing schools we call low performing cuz they don't test well are people with low income and so it's an economic phenomenon it's not so much about the teacher, the pedagogy, and so the, you know, the the best schools is part of the disease because what's that got to do with the child's development? That reinforces the performance nature of school. The purpose of school is not to get good grades. The purpose of life is not to be measured by making a lot of money out uh, in the Western, American streets paved with gold culture. That's part of the culture influence that surrounds us and hasn't changed in 50 years. It's, it's so powerful here. And so to me, the school could be a bubble of possibility. The building is is a place of possibility where personal development, where children learning what they're good at, where parents come to learn and feel connected to each other uh, is an option. To the the achievement orientation that's that's so dominant.
1: I just want you to know too. I really appreciate the distinction you make between, and I'm not sure these are the exact words that you use, but a narrative of problems versus a narrative of possibility. I think that that's a, such a huge distinction to make because, especially in yeah. education, we have a tendency to look at all the problems, all the reasons why not, yeah. and and so uh, you know another point that you make in the book is that we have this tendency to think too much about the past in terms of the stories we tell. And basically what you just did was tell a narrative around education, right? The stories that have been with us for a long, long time. And and again, we talked about this in our podcast series last month, but I'm wondering what do you think prevents schools, especially from being able to think about new stories? What are the, some of the barriers or problems that don't allow them to get to possibilities? Because it's a heavy lift for a lot of schools to make that shift. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, It begins with a belief that my story is true. Whatever people think about their experience with schools, everybody's been to school, whatever they think education's about, the need for competition or achievement or standards or rigor, the need for technology, every kid needs a laptop. That's just a story. It's not true. And if I, be, if I can get the fact that my narrative or my story about myself or schools or my life is something I made up, that's liberating. That's called freedom. Well, if I made up the story, I, my favorite quote is that in, in Russia, even the past, right, is unpredictable. Right. So if that's true about Russia, it's true about me. And so that gives me, gives the school, the possibility of saying, well, if I, if we made up what we hold to be true, Meg Wheatley used to say, what's the deepest belief you hold that you think is true? And People say it and say, suppose it wasn't true. Then it opens a possibility for everything. So I think that a new narrative has to be based on the belief that we have the power to construct it and live it out in this building. I don't need to wait for the legislature. I don't need to wait for the end of high-stakes testing. I don't have to talk about budget. I know that teachers have to pull out of their own pocket in most schools to get ready, get the kids the supplies they need for school. All that's true, period. Thank you very much. Now what do we want to create here? And once you have that, then you can talk about possibilities instead of problems. You can talk about the doubts we have. Of course, there's doubts. You can talk about commitments. You can talk about gifts. You can talk about their... The community book tries to spell out after a little blabbing in the beginning about narrative, there are some very specific ways you come together and things you talk about that give you the power to create an alternative story. One of the neatest things I've seen is you get parents together and you say, what's going on here? What's the crossroads we're at at this stage? And they give a long list and you bring them back together and say, for this list, make three columns. What's something we can do about it's something we can do with the administration and what's something that the paid staff and administrator has to do on their own. The longest list is always what we as parents, as citizens, as neighbors, as students have control over. And that opens up the possibility of us creating a school that we want and an experience we want for us all. And community is, is if you get people connected in that kind of conversation, they begin to care for the whole. It's an antidote to the individualism and the high stakes mindset that we uh, we thought was true.
1: Can you maybe share a couple other strategies for that? Because I know that in some places I hear that rhetoric, I hear leadership, you know, we're doing a lot of opening days this time of year. And, and I know that there are a lot of leaders, school leaders standing in front of their teachers saying, uh, we want to do things differently. We want to really put the child at the center. Uh, we want to innovate. We want to really rethink the way that we do things. But there are lots of people probably in those audiences, many of them who are saying, I don't really want to do that. I just want to you know, continue to do what I've been good at in the past and to play by the same rules that we played under for decades, if not centuries. What are some other strategies to kind of move that needle a little bit so that more people are willing to explore possibilities rather than just kind of manage the problems that they currently have?
0: To be specific, if the leader stands up and says, it's a time of change and openness, that's rhetoric. Right. Because they'll say, thank you for coming. Okay. So that, the structure of that time, whether it's a half day or a day or three hours, has to be an embodiment of the future I want to live into. So you don't give speeches about the need for change because that pretends that you know what you're talking about leadership is the practice of not knowing. It's the practice of curiosity. And so I would say the leader should break people into small groups and say, you know, uh, what's the crossroads you're at in your career as a teacher? What are some of the gifts you want to bring more fully into the, you know, engage people in talking about gifts and possibility. What would you like to see changed? that's under your power to change and get off the great leader leadership. Uh, the other thing is that when I look at an audience, let's get very specific. So I'm the principal, I'm the superintendent. I'm given a speech early in the year. Who do I see? And if I see in my mind's eye, people who are resistant to change, it changes my behavior. So I want to see the capacity in each person and especially those people who seem to have uh, the energy to reimagine what we're doing here together. I don't want to talk about the ones that are hidebound, predictable, want the world to be the way it is. Because that's a part of me also. All of us want predictability and there's two big lines. One is people that want safety and that's a long line and The problem with wanting safety is I give up sovereignty. There's another line who says, I want my freedom. I want the freedom to create a school I believe in. That's a short line. And so you're looking to speak to the part of each of us. And so I never think about the people that don't want to change. That's not a category that takes me anywhere. That's just a measure of my own loss of faith. The other great question is to say, You entered this profession with a great deal of faith and hope and optimism about what you can contribute to the world. How's that going? And for most people, it's wounded, you know, and social workers, teachers, people like that, you don't go into teaching to make a living. And so help people talk about what happened to that faith and the notion that people are resistant to change. I don't believe they're resistant, they're resistant to coercion. They're resistant to a superintendent or a principal or anyone who knows what's best for me. Stop evaluating teachers. Don't do performance appraisals. Have teachers get together, perhaps with students, and say, How is this year going? What's working for me? What am I frustrated with? What can we do together to make it different? Uh, uh, evaluation of a teacher never improved teaching performance ever. All it does is to uh, make people anxious and feel coerced as if someone else knows what's good for me.
1: Hey, I wanna take a quick break from our conversation to let you know about what I think is the most powerful professional learning destination for educators online, and that is our Modern Learners Community Plus. You know, at a time when change is accelerating, when social media is getting increasingly toxic, and when we're faced with big questions in education that demand serious answers, MLC Plus offers a safe, respectful, intelligent space on the web to help you make sense of what to do next. MLC Plus is about community. We're building a movement to change the experience of schooling for kids around the world to better prepare them for the world today. Our community builds our collective and individual capacity to do that, MLC Plus is about challenge, our carefully selected links and theme-driven conversations are meant to push your thinking, to get you to scrutinize your practice and to catalyze your journey to reimagine education and schooling, but most of all, MLC Plus is about learning. Through our diverse book studies, our live coaching sessions with the Modern Learners team, our constant conference, our special workshops and masterclasses, your learning doesn't have to stop. And since all of our interactions are archived for later viewing, it's your learning on your schedule. So if you're looking for more quality conversations with a global lens, within a passionate community of educators, all in one respectful, easy to access time-saving space, I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than MLC Plus. Head on over to modernlearners.community right now, and let's change the story of education for the modern world together. And now, back to our conversation. And I'm wondering, too, because we started this conversation by saying that community is really feeling connection to one another. I mean, how do we begin to build connection around those types of values? Is it simply an articulation of those values at the beginning? Or
0: is it, what is it? Well, uh, it's useful to talk a little bit about values. What's more useful is to break people into small groups and say, to what extent are you able to live out your intentions here? It's always a conversation with peers that's transformative. All transformation occurs in a small group. The leader behavior is way overrated. Leaders are not role models, only children, you know. It's, it's infantilizing adults to say, I want to be a role model. I want to be a role model for who, you know, do I really? And, uh, and so me, you and I talking together, will about how is our work, you know, you and I are trying to have an impact on the world in the direction of a more connected, more caring, more passionate, more gift-based world. Uh, Our transformation will be about how are we doing? You know, the the question I have always is, is is what we're doing making any difference? And and everybody's up for that question. And so the questions are really the power of what you do is to say, let's, you give a focus and a context. In this case, community, it's is about connectedness. It's about neighborliness. It's about creating protocols in our practice that invite our trust in each other rather than invite more control or consistency or predictability. And uh, that's, But it takes an experience to have faith
1: in that. You started talking there a little bit about the world writ large. I wonder the extent that you think schools might be a microcosm of society in terms of these struggles, in terms of either the connection or lack of connection. Because obviously the last 25 years with the Internet has changed a lot in terms of how we connect with one another and the depth of that connection. Do you see schools just reflecting what's happening in society at large? I think we're the, the, the uh,
0: victim of what's happening. That somehow like the, the control of the school has gone to the state legislature. Uh, and it's become more corporatized, more privatized, literally, m- more, uh, more managed. And so I think our children are paying the price for what's happening to the larger culture which is the deep privatization, the end of the common good. And so the, uh, it breaks my heart to see schools being constructed as they are now. It breaks my heart to see in Cincinnati schools ranked top to bottom, as if the bottom ones are the problem. As if they, uh, in Cincinnati, they're mostly African American because they're based on parental income is the only real determinant of how kids do in school. And so, our children are paying the price for our ambition, for our achievement, for our own wish for control. And uh, and we see it as a nation, you know, we become, uh, we worry about losing our empire. We globalize in terms of product and practice. We call other countries undeveloped They're not undeveloped. They're called Mexico. (laughs) And a friend of mine, he said, in 49, Harry Truman said, you know, we've been so lucky. We came out of the war so prosperous. We're going to help the underdeveloped countries. And he said, I was in Oaxaca, Mexico. And I thought, oh, I didn't know I was underdeveloped until (laughs) Mr. Truman said that. (laughs) And so the whole idea of development is an imperial project. It's an imperial project. It's rich countries, money in rich countries going to rich people in poor countries. And so the imperial empire mindset belief system that we need to be top, best in control has tragically affected our schools in the way we, and uh, and there are alternatives. There's restorative practices are very powerful to help schools stop kicking people out. It's always blown my mind to say if you're having a problem in school, I'm going to punish you by kicking you out. You know, and so you see all these movements that are healing of the larger society, and that's what you—that's why you do what you're doing. But it's—it's uh, it's hard not to let the building, even in its architecture. You see the buildings, the school buildings built in the 20s and 30s and 40s. My God, they're gorgeous. They're celebrations of architecture, celebrations of state. And the ones now are boxed, they're all based on efficiency. Well, we can't afford an auditorium and a cafeteria. And so the efficiency corporate uh, mindset, speed, efficiency, cost, and that's, you know all of our jobs as parents and people my age are a big problem because they say my kids are grown right uh, and it drives me crazy i said what do you mean your kids are grown these are all all our children for you to withdraw from the schools and not care anymore is a, is a abdication of accountability even the notion we're going to leave it to the next generation uh, you know and I'm in the fourth quarter, at least. And uh, I say, what do you mean you're going to leave it? to Get busy. Don't leave it to the next generation. Why would you put that burden on young people?
1: I almost hesitate to bring this up because I'm, I don't know if you've seen it, but I came across you were talking about architecture and the way that schools are built. I think it's a commentary on the sad moment that we're in that architects are now building schools so they don't have direct sight lines in case shooters come into the school. That's their starting point. And I mean, it is heartbreaking when you think about the ways in which kids are now anxious, stressed, um, in some cases, suicidal. We did a podcast last year with David Gleason, who wrote a book, At What Cost?, where he talked about you know all of those types of pressures that we put on kids. And yet we basically refuse to take those pressures off because of the impact they would have on our own reputation as schools and as, you know, as rigorous and whatever else. So it is pretty sad. I'm wondering at a, again, at a meta level, what you think the path forward is for not just schools, but society, if we're going to really build communities where we do feel connected,
0: what does that look like? It looks like community neighborliness. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, Walter Brueggemann says, the dominant narrative for our society is the Exodus story where the Israelites for 400 years lived under conditions of slavery. And at some point, and I said, Walter, why did it take him 400 years? <laughs> and he said, well, they couldn't imagine being free. Couldn't imagine being free. So it always begins with an act of imagination. And so I, you know, uh, what they were asked to do is to go into the wilderness. Well, the neighborhood is the modern wilderness. And so if you care about crime, if you care about health, the determinants of crime and health is my connectedness to the people around me. That's the What keeps a cool school safe is not sidelined. It's not barriers to keep, you know, all of that conversation is just a logical extension of how we constructed a classroom. And you mentioned earlier chairs in a row, teacher up front standing, you know, a, a pass to go to the bathroom, a written permission, you know, a legal contract in order to leave the room. So to me, that mindset and no amount of, of defense is going to keep us safe. And so that's what's the solution is for us as build neighborliness to get neighbors together talking about not what we do with our school, but how do we want to raise our children. And and so in every case when people have high social capital is the fancy term for it, which means I trust other the people around me and we, we do things to make the place better. That is the major determinant of public safety, not police. Every, any police officer you talk to will tell you they not cannot keep us safe. Now, some may take credit for it. If we're a rich neighborhood, they'll say, look at a good job we're doing. And so social capital is the determinant of how long I live, how much money I make, how well my school my children do in school, and how safe my life is. And that's the advocacy that you represent. Is that us coming together and that the whole reason I think community and a book like community is, is done better now than before is that people realize that the determinant of well being is our connectedness to each other and a willingness to do this thing together. And that's why the, there's so many movements involved, you know, Democracy Collaborative, Schumacher Center, there's all kinds of places that are. Uh, cooperative movement, cooperative housing, all these movements exist in the world and inside education also, you know, cooperative education, cooperative learning are all answers to the paranoia and our desire and, and misbelief that more control leads to better outcomes. It's true on a manufacturing line were not manufactured don't call children products
1: are you an optimist moving forward i mean there there does seem to be at least a heightened sensitivity these days to a lot of the issues that we're talking about and there seems to be more thought and more conversation happening but how does that you know whether or not that turns into action is always a, a, a little bit of a different question so what do you think the future holds
0: I see no reason for optimism. I don't even believe in progress. I hold on to faith. I have infinite faith about the possibility of who we might be together in a school, in a building. But if you want to, just because I'm taller, thinner, and live longer, says nothing to do about the quality of my life, nothing. It's the inst- it's making my life an in- instrumental and I'm all for the environment you know but it seems to me that the dominant belief system is is headed towards a cliff. Now I'm giving my life and have given my life to any pocket I find, any bubble I find of cooperation and possibility and neighborless I, I, I'm, I serve on a neighborhood council for God's sake. And Nowhere is a group of people talk longer about things that don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and optimism means nothing. It's a choice. It's like a story. Are you optimistic? Oh, yeah. Are you pessimistic? There's data for everything. So I'll, I'll bet on faith. I think you're betting on faith. And I think your audience says, well, I don't care what the world looks like. I always have the capacity to create a future in whatever room I enter in. And, and, and so, uh, there's no reason to draw conclusions from outcomes that surround you. I'm unwilling to draw conclusions from what I see going on in the world. Just as in my own healing, and my own coming to terms with the life, it wasn't what happened to me, it was the conclusions I drew that I had to reorganize. And so people can describe and go on and on. In most public meetings, people wanna go on and on about what's wrong. I don't care. Are they wrong? I don't know. You do have a choice as to what you choose to pay attention to. leaders have a choice as to who they see in front of them when they're speaking and how they organize the social arrangement of the moment. And so, uh, it's a faith-based endeavor that you're engaged in. And so, why do you need evidence? If you need evidence, then there's no faith.
1: Well, that's a pretty profound way to end our conversation, Peter. I, I want to want you to know that one of the things that I'm going to be thinking a lot about from this conversation is the idea that the truth is in our heads; that we can change the narrative if we choose to. And I think that that's one of the uh, maybe easiest things to intellectually understand, but again, it's difficult to figure out how that happens in a school system, in a school community, but that certainly, I think, is a starting point that resonates for me.
0: You know, it's, it's one more comment. It's, sure. very, it's very doable, as long as you're not ambitious, <laughs> as long as you're not trying to take things to scale, and, it, it, and it's based on th- three notions. One is that I'm not alone, because if I think I'm alone, I don't have a shot the other is I'm not crazy you know the way I see the world is kind of fine there's nothing wrong and the third is nothing wrong with me I self-improvement is a, is a form of self-inflicted violence you're fine this is not the package I asked for God didn't give me the cards that I had in mind so what there's nothing nothing to be fixed here these kids don't need fixing. The place they need engaging, they need our connection. And, and, uh, anyway, thank you for putting up with my. Uh, like I say, I, I've never been burdened by the need for outcomes, so it gives me enormous freedom.
1: Well, thank you for spending time with me today. I really Thanks, appreciate it, and uh, we are definitely looking forward to leading uh, community in our in our community next month. Good. And Thanks so much. And Peter. Okay. Thank you very much, Will. It. So what can you do now after listening to Peter's powerful observations about community? Well, I've got three suggestions for you. First, the obvious one, read his book, Community, the Structure of Belonging. It is an amazing starting point for thinking about the importance of community and the ways in which you can begin to create the types of we all succeed spaces that he talked about in this podcast. Second, make time and space for parents, teachers, and students to talk in small groups around questions like, What is the story about this school and community that you most often hear yourself telling, that you most often hear from others? Is that the story you wanna tell? And how wedded are you to it? And third, why not think about joining us this month for our book study on Peter's book in our MLC Plus community? It really is a professional learning community where everyone has the agency, the safety, and the connection with others to grapple with the most meaningful questions and possibilities of this exciting yet complex moment, we are working to make PLUS the best online PLC you'll find. So why not check it out right now? Go to modernlearners.community to get started. Next week, I talk to Howard Reingold, who's been one of the most respected pioneers in online communities for almost 35 years. That'll be coming out next Tuesday. But until then, I really hope you click over to modernlearners.community and help keep this conversation going. Thanks so much for listening.